2,000 years ago actually begun a lot longer. It began a long time ago. In fact, right at the beginning of the Bible story, right at the beginning of creation and humanity, right after the fall, right after paradise lost, there was hope that someone would come, a redeemer from the line and the lineage of Eve that would crush the head of the deceiver, that serpent, Satan, and redeem us not only as individuals, but redeem us as families. He came to make a family. Jesus Christ, God the Son, was sent by God the Father so that we could be filled with God the Spirit and enjoy Him for eternity. It's a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story. It is the greatest story that the world has ever heard. And oftentimes we try to tell this story, not just through video, not just through teaching, but through acting as well. How many of us came to the uh, Living Nativity on Saturday night? How beautiful is that? How remarkable is that? Praise God. I did hear about one Christmas pageant that didn't go as well. This was a Christmas pageant where a young man, a teenager, he really wanted to be Joseph in the story. A lot of young men want to be Joseph, right? And he rehearsed. He had to rehearse for this nativity. He rehearsed for the part of Joseph, and not only did he not get it, but this other kid at church that he did not like at all got the role of Joseph. And he got demoted, as the story goes, to the role of the innkeeper. So this man, this young man, was very upset, and it's the night of the pageant. And he's thinking to himself, not very holy or godly thoughts. He's thinking, I'm going to show all of these Christians, and I'm going to try and sabotage their pageant. So sure enough, as the pageant's playing out, and as the story's being told, Mary and Joseph come forward to the inn. Mary and Joseph, played by this young man that he does not like, and they knock on the door of his inn, and he opens the door, and he says, what can I do for you? Really gruffly and really angrily. And then we expect the story to go one way, and the story goes a complete opposite way. Joseph says to the innkeeper, Sir, my wife is pregnant with child. Is there any room for you in the inn? And then all of a sudden, this young man who's very, very upset says, Yes, there sure is. We have a penthouse suite on the upper floor, five-star accommodations, breakfast and bread, and room service. All of a sudden, Joseph doesn't know what to do. This was not what he expected. This was not how the story was supposed to go. So he improvised, right? And he looks the innkeeper, gives him a little wink, and he looks inside the inn, and he says, Honey, there's no way I will let you stay in this filthy place. Now let's go to the stable so you can give birth with the farm animals. <laughs> that pageant, when I read that story, and of course as someone who's uh, loves our nativity and very involved in our nativity, not only made me laugh, but it also made me think. It made me think that perhaps our Christmas doesn't always play out the way we expect it. Perhaps our family is not what we hoped it would be. Perhaps we're not at the place in our lives or our career or our health where we want to be. Perhaps what makes Christmas so hard sometimes is that there is this aura and this idea that to enjoy Christmas, things have to be at a certain level of peace and success and comfort. Well, what happens when it's not? What happens when our lives aren't perfect, our families aren't perfect, 
Our health is not perfect. Our marriages are not perfect. Our relationship with God is not perfect. There's good news for those of us that understand that, yes, even if our family is imperfect, we worship a perfect Savior. So when we return to Scripture, if you've been with us on this journey as we've walked through the last several weeks, you remember all of that was surrounding the first Christmas. Because what we can do is we can look at a nativity scene like this one, and we can look at these pristine, beautiful ceramic figures. Everyone has their hands crossed, and they're all reflecting, and everyone's looking very calm. But then we remember the context. And sometimes, while I love them, sometimes our images and our traditions can let us down. What was happening at the first Christmas? God's people Israel were living under the tyranny of Caesar. God's people Israel did not have a king. They had a violent, murderous despot named Herod. And what does God do? God brings deliverance. He promises his deliverer, the Christ, the anointed king. And then who does he promise him to? A young peasant girl who's going around and telling people, She's with child, and the child's not Joseph's. The child was born by the Holy Spirit. And then you have a young carpenter. A young carpenter who at one point wanted to divorce his fiancée. He wanted to just divorce her quietly to save her some shame. And now he has to take that shame because there's very few people that will understand, much less believe, that the child in Mary's womb is actually from God. This is the story, and it's not a story that we could create. It's not a story that we would make up, but I hope it's a story that we can relate to because what we want to believe and we want to profess is that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God and God the Son. He is the Savior and the Messiah. Every single breath, every single desire, every single inkling of Jesus' fiber was to worship and honor his God. He was and is perfect. Amen? Amen. His family wasn't, though. And he was human. He was human. Uh, we just sang Away in a Manger, right? I love this song, but one of the words in the, uh, one of the lines in the song can be a little misleading. I'm just going to read the words, not sing it. You're welcome. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in their bright sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep on the? Very good. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, what? No crying he makes. No crying he makes. <laughs> you see, you see, whether it's through ceramics or song, we tend to make this story of Christmas, polished, doesn't have any dirt on it, doesn't have any sweat, doesn't have any fear, doesn't have anxiety. Jesus was perfect, but Jesus was a baby and he cried. That baby was crying. That mother Mary was hurting. Joseph was nervous. I heard this on the, uh, I read this on the internet. This is so good. Writing about Mary's delivery in the stable on the first Christmas from her perspective. And she says, quote, well, I just had a baby in a barn. Thanks to everyone who brought those very helpful and practical baby gifts of frankincense and myrrh. They're very helpful with a newborn. 
Also, the child who kept playing the drums in my face, that was great. Thank you very much. I appreciate all this. They were real people, friends. Jesus was human. Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. flesh. Divinity entering into humanity. The infinite God becoming finite man. The creator and the sustainer of the universe becoming a fragile, tender baby. This is the story. And I hope you see yourselves in the story. I hope you can relate to the story. Not just of Mary and Joseph, but even of Jesus' line and his lineage. The Gospel of Matthew starts out by talking about Jesus' ancestors. And he had kings and he had patriarchs in his family. But you know what else? He had terrible, terrible people in his line, in his lineage. He had people that were idolaters and adulterers. He had people that were murderers and that would lead God's people astray. He had foreigners and outcasts, people that would sell their own bodies. This is all a part of the story. This, friends, is what our God enters into. This is good news. That Emmanuel, God, is with us in our mess. So if our family is not perfect, then you are in a good place. Because Jesus' family was not perfect either. And he welcomes you in, into your mess. That's when the message of Christ rings loudest. Into this imperfect family, into our imperfect family, enters Father, Son, and Spirit. The good news of Christmas and the reminder of Scripture is that chaos cannot keep Christ out of his world and away from his children. Let me read that again. How many of us had an easy time getting to church tonight? Any of us have a hard time getting to church tonight? Yes. At the first service when we had about 100 kids, there's a lot of hands that went up. I'll read this again. Chaos cannot keep Christ out of his world and away from his children. There's no mess that sets Christ back. There's no smell that turns Christ away. The Messiah was not born because of his ancestors, but in spite of them. You might say, well, I got problems. I got issues. I got vices. I got a past. I made bad, bad decisions. Welcome to the family. Not only is there grace and forgiveness if we believe and receive this gift, but also there's family. You're loved, you're fathered, you're promised to never be forsaken. John chapter 1 verse 9 puts it like this, speaking of Jesus as the true light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, listen to these words, church, the world did not recognize him. I wonder if he came in our day, in our time, in the same way that Bethlehem was sleeping at the arrival of the Savior, would we also miss it as well? He came, as John 1.11 says, to that which was his own. It's all his. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Church, let's say it together. Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God sent his son so that he could make sons and daughters. One of the interesting stories in the Bible, and it's not often taught 
It often is neglected. It's true that Jesus was not an infant at this time. It's true that this is a uh, story about his childhood. In fact, it's the only story about Jesus' childhood. But it reminds us of the humanity of his family. It's a story at the end of gospel, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph, they're traveling to the Passover. They're traveling to Jerusalem. They're ascending to Zion. And they partake of all the traditions, the festival, and the feast. It's time to go home, and they are making their pilgrimage home. One hour goes by, two hours go by, 10 hours go by, 24 hours go by. Mary looks around and says, Joseph, where's Jesus? It's a true story. You can read it yourself. Joseph must have looked around and said, I thought you had him. She says, I thought you had him. I thought Elizabeth had him. I thought Zechariah. Oh my goodness, we lost the Savior of the world. Can you imagine? How many of us have lost kids for a moment, right? Oh gosh, it is terrifying. Not only did they lose their son, they lost the Savior of the world. Oh my gosh, and here's how the story goes. It's very, very pertinent for today's study. Luke chapter 2, verse 48, they travel back to Jerusalem. So it's been three days. Three days they lost Jesus. <laughs> verse 48, listen, friends. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, listen, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. That's not the first time you heard that line in the Gospel of Luke. When the angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her that in her womb would be the Savior of the world, the Messiah, she treasured that in her heart. You know what she also treasured? Not just the good day, the bad day too. Not just when she said, yes, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. Not only on the good day, the faithful day, the strong day, but on the day that she wasn't the perfect mommy. She still treasured this in her heart. For those of you that know, and I don't want to embarrass him too much because he's right up here in the front, my little baby Jay had an ouchie this week in his eyeball. And uh, as he was in the hospital, I really, really wrestled. In fact, I cried a lot of tears for my Bubba. And we were praying for him so, so, so hard. And I said to myself, God, God, how could this happen? Church, can I confess something that I had an honest conversation with God about? Can I confess this? Me being real? I said, God, I do so much for you. So silly, right? <laughs> so preposterous. That's how I felt. Because he was, he was so, so hurt. I'll try not to cry. And then I knew it. I, I knew that God was in that hospital room. Not only with my beautiful Jay, but with Dada too. And I knew that he was going to be with us. And that he was going to see us through this. And that Romans 8, chapter Chapter 8, verse 28, still applies. That God is at work 
for the good of those who love him. Mary understood that the good days shouldn't just be treasured, but also the days where we stumble and we fall, the days that are hard. So when our lives don't go as expected, when things don't go according to plan, when our family and our lives are not perfect, what do we do, church? Friends, what do we do? The culture, some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll follow the culture. We'll shop till we drop, right? We'll drink till we can't think. We'll work until we can't stop. We'll do anything to get our minds off our mess, only to wake up, sober up, sit up, and realize we're stuck. And that's when Jesus does his best work. That's when the power of the gospel can really remind us that we're loved and we're fathered. Whether you're weeping beside your seven-year-old boy in a hospital, or whether your marriage is struggling, or whether your health is diminishing, or whether you just can't escape the vice that you're in. I want you to hear this. If you believe in Christ, there's never been a moment in your life where you've been unloved and you have been unfathered. Galatians chapter 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? That the spirit of Christ dwells in our hearts, and we long for our father like a little child longs for his dada or her daddy. The text continues, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, if your Christmas is a difficult one, I want you to take heart. When everything is shaking, God remains unshaken and unshakable. Amen? God still makes sons and daughters out of rebels and prodigals. God still makes conquerors out of captives. God still makes Sundays out of Fridays, and God still brings beauty out of Bethlehem. As individuals, as families, as friends, have we paused to reflect on how God is not only with us in Christ at Christmas, but the story continues. That young 12-year-old boy who was at Jerusalem for Passover would eventually become the Passover lamb himself that the cradle always pointed to the cross. That in both, we see that God is not only with us, Christ died for us, and then when he rose again, we now know that if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? If not even death could separate you from the love of God the Father, then why not come to him? Why not let the excuses fall? Why not let the reservations stop? Why not just believe and receive the good news? What do we have to do? We have to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before the one who humbled himself, who descended from his heavenly throne. This is what makes Christianity different. We could not save ourselves through our own morality, through our own due diligence, through our own religious obedience. No, the message is God came down to us in Christmas. In a cradle, because there was no hope. There was no hope without him. May we see Christ this Christmas through the eyes of faith, but not just that. May we savor Christ this Christmas.
through humble hearts. May we understand that the reason every single part of this masterful story, Old Testament and New, prophets and apostles, all kinds of people from all kinds of places that did all kinds of terrible things. Here's the good news. Every single word of this book, every single moment of your life, it all leads to the culmination of this beautiful truth. God sent Christ to you so Christ could bring God to you. The ultimate good is to know the Father and enjoy Him forever and ever. That's the greatest gift of Christmas. And that's the gift that we hope you receive tonight. This beautiful, holy, and silent night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And we pray and we ask now for a moment of clarity, a moment of reflection and honesty. It's one thing to understand we're not perfect, but many of us, while we will admit that, while we will admit our imperfections, we still don't surrender to the one who is perfect. Our hardened hearts, our hubris and our pride cloud out our judgment. So God, send your spirit. Reveal your grace. Beckon your people unto you so that they might believe and receive new life, a new beginning, a new future. Help us to believe tonight, God. Help us to believe that God came in the form of Christ, Christ sent from God, so that we could be sons and daughters, so that we could be a family. If you're tired of running, if you're weary of pretending, if you're tired of holding back, this Christmas can be so much better than just mere sentimentality. This Christmas can change your heart for an eternity. Believe it. Receive this gift of grace now. And you could do it simply by praying. Praying and surrendering to God's grace. Pray this simple prayer with me. This prayer is simply a guide. May it be your heart's desire. Heavenly Father, help me to believe that you love me tonight. In both my good days and my bad, you're with me. I know, Lord, that I have made mistakes, that I constantly run from you. Pray this to him, church. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Would you dwell in my heart in the same way you dwelled in that stable? And would my heart cry out, Abba, Father, today I trust you. For the rest of my life, I will follow you. I pray this in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.